we continue with Justice Sotomayor's dissenting opinion in 303 Creative LLC v. Ellenis. Picking up with Part 2 of the opinion. Battling discrimination is like battling the hydra. Whenever you defeat one form of discrimination, another springs up in its place. Time and again, businesses and other commercial entities have claimed constitutional rights to discriminate. And time and time again, this court has courageously stood up to those claims. Until today. Today, the court shrinks. A business claims that it would like to sell wedding websites to the general public, yet deny those same websites to gay and lesbian couples. Under any state law, the business is free to include or not to include any lawful message it wants in its wedding websites. The only thing the business may not do is deny whatever websites it offers on the basis of sexual orientation. This court, however, grants the business a broad exemption from state law and allows the business to post a notice that says, Wedding websites will be refused to gays and lesbians. The court's decision, which conflates denial of service and protected expression, is a grave error. Section A. 303 Creative LLC is a limited liability company that sells graphic and website designs for profit. Lori Smith is the company's founder and sole member owner. Smith believes same-sex marriages are false because God's true story of marriage is a story of a union between one man and one woman. Same-sex marriage, according to her, violates God's will and harms society and children. 303 Creative has never sold wedding websites. Smith now believes, however, that God is calling her to explain his true story about marriage. For that reason, she says, she wants her for-profit company to enter the wedding website business. There is only one thing. Smith would like her company to sell wedding websites to the public, but not to same-sex couples. She also wants to post a notice on the company's website announcing this intent to discriminate. In Smith's view, it would violate her sincerely held religious beliefs to create a wedding website for a same-sex wedding because, by doing so, she would be expressing a message celebrating and promoting a conception of marriage that she believes is contrary to God's design. Again, Smith's company has never sold a wedding website to any customer. Colorado, therefore, has never had to enforce its anti-discrimination laws against the company. As the majority puts it, however, Smith worries that if she enters the wedding website business, the state will force her to convey messages inconsistent with her belief that marriage should be reserved to unions between one man and one woman. So Smith and her company 
the petitioners here, sued the state in federal court. They sought a court decree giving them a special exemption from CADA's Accommodation Clause, which, remember, makes it unlawful for a business to hold itself out to the public, yet deny to any individual, because of sexual orientation, the full and equal enjoyment of the business's goods or services. And CADA's Communication Clause which makes it unlawful to advertise that goods or services will be denied because of sexual orientation. The breadth of petitioners' pre-enforcement challenge is astounding. According to Smith, the free speech clause of the First Amendment entitles her company to refuse to sell any websites for same-sex weddings, even though the company plans to offer wedding websites to the general public. In other words, the company claims a categorical exemption from a public accommodations law simply because the company sells expressive services. The sweeping nature of this claim should have led this court to reject it. Section B. The First Amendment does not entitle petitioners to a special exemption from state law that simply requires them to serve all members of the public on equal terms. Such a law does not directly regulate petitioners' speech at all, and petitioners may not escape the law by claiming an expressive interest in discrimination. The First Amendment likewise does not exempt petitioners from the law's prohibition on posting a notice that they will deny goods or services based on sexual orientation. 1. This court has long held that the First Amendment does not prevent restrictions directed at commerce or conduct from imposing incidental burdens on speech. Congress, for example, can prohibit employers from discriminating in hiring on the basis of race. The fact that this will require an employer to take down a sign reading white applicants only hardly means that the law should be analyzed as one regulating the employer's speech rather than conduct. See Rumsfeld v. Forum for Academic and Institutional Rights, Inc., 2006, or FAIR. This principle explains why an ordinance against outdoor fires might forbid burning a flag, and why antitrust laws can prohibit agreements in restraint of trade. Consider United States v. O'Brien, 1968. In that case, the court upheld the application of a law against the destruction of draft cards to a defendant who had burned his draft card to protest the Vietnam War. The protester's conduct was indisputably expressive. Indeed, it was political expression, which lies at the heart of the First Amendment. Yet the O'Brien court focused on whether the government's interest in regulating the conduct was to burden expression. Because it was not, the regulation was subject to lesser constitutional scrutiny. The O'Brien standard is satisfied if a regulation is unrelated to the suppression of expression and promotes a substantial government interest that would be achieved less effectively absent the regulation. Rumsfeld v. Forum for Academic and Institutional Rights, or FAIR, 
confronted the interaction between this principle and an equal access law. The law at issue was the Solomon Amendment, which prohibits an institution of higher education in receipt of federal funding from denying a military recruiter the same access to its campus and students that it provides to the non-military recruiter receiving the most favorable access. A group of law schools challenged the Solomon Amendment based on their sincere objection to the military's don't-ask-don't-tell policy. For those who are too young to know, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a homophobic policy that barred openly LGBT people from serving in the military. LGBT people could serve only if they kept their identities secret. The idea was that their open existence was a threat to the military. The law schools in FAIR claimed that the Solomon Amendment infringed the school's First Amendment freedom of speech. The schools provided recruiting assistance in the form of emails, notices on bulletin boards, and flyers. As the court acknowledged, those services clearly involve speech. And the Solomon Amendment required schools offering such services to other recruiters to provide them equally on behalf of the military, even if the school deeply objected to creating such speech. But that did not transform the equal provision of services into compelled speech of the kind barred by the First Amendment, because the school's speech was only compelled if, and to the extent, the school provides such speech for other recruiters. Thus, any speech compulsion was plainly incidental to the Solomon Amendment's regulation of conduct. 2. The same principle resolves this case. The majority tries to sweep under the rug petitioner's challenge to CADA's communication clause, so I will start with it. Recall that Smith wants to post a notice on her company's homepage that the company will refuse to sell any website for a same-sex couple's wedding. This court, however, has already said that a ban on race-based hiring may require employers to remove white applicants-only signs. So, petitioners concede that they are not entitled to an exemption from the communication clause unless they are also entitled to an exemption from the accommodation clause. That concession is all but fatal to their argument, because it shows that even pure speech may be burdened incident to a valid regulation of conduct. CADA's accommodation clause and its application here are valid regulations of conduct. It is well settled that a public accommodations law like the accommodation clause does not target speech or discriminate on the basis of its content. Rather, the focal point of its prohibition is on the act of discriminating against individuals in the provision of publicly available goods, privileges, and services. The state confirms this reading of CADA. The law applies only to status-based refusals to provide the full and equal enjoyment of whatever services petitioners choose to sell to the public. Crucially, the law does not dictate the content of speech at all, which is only compelled if and to the extent the company offers such speech to other customers. 
Colorado does not require the company to speak the state's preferred message, nor does it prohibit the company from speaking the company's preferred message. The company could, for example, offer only wedding websites with biblical quotations describing marriage as between one man and one woman. The company could also refuse to include the words love is love if it would not provide those words to any customer. All the company has to do is offer its services without regard to customers' protected characteristics. Any effect on the company's speech is therefore incidental to the state's content-neutral regulation of conduct. Once these features of the law are understood, it becomes clear that petitioners' freedom of speech is not abridged in any meaningful sense, factual or legal. Petitioners remain free to advocate the idea that same-sex marriage betrays God's law. Even if Smith believes God is calling her to do so through her for-profit company, the company need not hold out its goods or services to the public at large. Many filmmakers, visual artists, and writers never do. Finally, and most importantly, even if the company offers its goods or services to the public, it remains free under state law to decide what messages to include or not to include. To repeat, because it escapes the majority, the company can put whatever harmful or low-value speech it wants on its websites. It can tell people what they do not want to hear. All the company may not do is offer wedding websites to the public, yet refuse those same websites to gay and lesbian couples. Another example might help to illustrate the point. A professional photographer is generally free to choose her subjects. She can make a living taking photos of flowers or celebrities. The state does not regulate that choice. If the photographer opens a portrait photography business to the public, however, the business may not deny to any person because of race, sex, national origin, or other protected characteristic the full and equal enjoyment of whatever services the business chooses to offer. That is so even though portrait photography services are customized and expressive. If the business offers school photos, it may not deny those services to multiracial children because the owner does not want to create any speech indicating that interracial couples are acceptable. If the business offers corporate headshots, it may not deny those services to women because the owner believes a woman's place is in the home. And if the business offers passport photos, it may not deny those services to Mexican-Americans because the owner opposes immigration from Mexico. The same is true for sexual orientation discrimination. If a photographer opens a photo booth outside of City Hall and offers to sell newlywed photos captioned with the words just married, she may not refuse to sell that service to a newlywed gay or lesbian couple, even if she believes the couple is not, in fact, just married, because in her view, their marriage is false. 3. Because any burden on petitioner's speech is incidental to CADA's neutral regulation of commercial conduct, 
the regulation is subject to the standard set forth in O'Brien. That standard is easily satisfied here because the law's application promotes a substantial government interest that would be achieved less effectively absent the regulation. Indeed, this court has already held that the state's goal of eliminating discrimination and assuring its citizens equal access to publicly available goods and services is unrelated to the suppression of expression and plainly serves compelling state interests of the highest order. The court has also held that by prohibiting only acts of invidious discrimination in the distribution of publicly available goods, services, and other advantages, the law responds precisely to the substantive problem which legitimately concerns the state and abridges no more speech than is necessary to accomplish that purpose. We've come to the end of part three of this opinion, but don't worry, next episode we will pick up exactly where this episode left off, and next episode will be the last segment of this opinion. Until then, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.